look forward to the Sundays when I see a bunch of people coming in in black. You know? Uh, the chorale's going to be singing. What a beautiful song. You know, they, they've said of all the religions in the world, it's those who follow Christ that sing. That sing. What an interesting effect uh, that his gospel has upon our souls. Uh, we've been studying the parables, and uh, this particular parable that we'll look at this morning is not necessarily one that if I was uh, looking for my top ten that I would have probably ever preached on. But because we're doing all the parables, it's stretching me outside my comfort zone a little bit. And, and Jesus actually told a lot of parables about fig trees. And they're not to be confused. He emphasizes different things depending on the different parables. But this particular one is perhaps one of the simplest. And it comes after a, a lot of talk uh, about prophecy, about end times, about things that are to come where Jesus has uh, forewarned us. So uh, you'll find it in two Gospels, Matthew in chapter 24, or Luke in chapter 21. I'm going to read from the Matthew passage, and don't feel, left, uh, feel cheated. If you, if you want to follow along in the Luke passage, Luke 21, 29 through 33, I think you'll find that they read exactly the same. So here it is, Matthew 24, 32 through, I'm going to read through 35. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, there you are, easy to find ourselves in this parable. There so you too, when you, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away with all, uh, uh, let me, that's the part that's exactly the same. Let me continue to read. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, those I've just spoken to you, will always stand true. This generation will not pass away. That's an interesting uh, term there, this generation. It can also be translated, this race will not pass away. This generation. There were those that were even in that time, in that generation, that uh, saw some of these things that he's talking about there. Even as you see these things, know that he's right at the door. His return is soon uh, the, the, the picture is there of, uh, of somebody tapping their, their toe outside the door, just waiting to, 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 to break through, right? Uh, and could any of you identify a fig tree if you saw one? Yeah, so, some of you could. Good. Oh, cool. Some of you know fig trees. Um, I don't really know that much about a fig tree. I'd probably be guessing. Uh, but here's a picture of a fig tree. And I wonder if you can tell what season this fig tree is in. Okay, this is a test. Okay, here we go. First, what, what season would you guess? Spring. What, 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 why do you say that? You're seeing the buds and some of the first little green 
pop out. Yeah, very good, very good. Next. Fall. It's actually the fall. The, the leaves turn yellow on these, on these trees when, when they when, when fall. So there the leaves are starting. To, and next. Summer. Yes, very good. And next. That's actually winter, but it's winter in a, uh, uh, like, Greenland or Iceland or something. You know, it's a, it was a place, that there's green on the ground, but you can tell the trees are, are in their dormant stage. No leaves, no buds, obviously. Spring. Who said spring? In Oklahoma, maybe. Yeah, okay, and next, next. Okay, that, what do you guess? Fall or winter, yeah, okay, next. Late spring, summer, yeah, yeah. Spring, very good. Now, it's even easier if you know what season you were just in, isn't it? Now, that, most of you are tree huggers, I guess, out there. You, you knew what all those seasons were. You knew exactly what was going on there. But, but, but Jesus actually says it's not so much the fig tree, any tree. Almost, you know, any, 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 any tree that loses its leaves and comes back that shows its season, you, you can figure these things out. But how much easier when you know, when you start seeing some things that could be the sign of fall that you were just in summer, right? I mean, if somebody just dropped you on the planet and it was in between seasons and you had no idea, maybe that would be more difficult. But especially if you know where you are in the progression of things, how much easier now, these slides are in order. Let's try these. Summer, right? Yeah. Cakewalk, right? So, so Jesus is not giving some agriculturally, uh, you got to have an insider's point of view. You have to be a farmer in order to figure this one out. Jesus says, know the parable of the fig tree. Right, and, and it's one that's, that's not difficult to understand. When, when, when you see certain signs, you know what's coming next. And, and, and that's, that's what he's saying uh, with, with this parable. And interestingly, this parable fits in, in chapters of, uh, of uh, Matthew and Luke where Jesus is unfolding prophecy. Now, the reason I tell you that this isn't a parable that I would have necessarily picked is because I do not consider myself a student of prophecy. Not that I haven't tried. Not that I haven't tried. I've seen all the charts. I've listened to the lectures about how Daniel fits into Ezekiel, that fits into Revelation and the charts and how this year comes up there and this is a sign of that and, 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 you know, and symbols and that means this and this is years and that's days and, and this is ages and yada, yada, yada. It just starts my head spinning and, and it's usually not very long into all of that obsession into those details and figuring out those clues that I start saying, just tell me how I should live. You know, but I perhaps have pushed away from really studying these things in a way that that I know in the prophetic season of things, what follows summer. Uh, And and so I became a student this week, kind of a a crash student in, in, in Bible prophecy. Scary thing to do in a week. Very scary thing to do in a week. Um, 
But, but some of the things that I've discovered, I just want to share with you. Okay, can we do that? Uh, now, some of you who are students of prophecy will probably take me aside afterwards and say, yes, but that's pre-trib and not post-trib and yada, yada, yada. Okay, that, that'd be a great conversation sometimes when I have a lot of time, not likely to come anytime soon. Okay, <laughs> just, just so you know, just so you know. But uh, when you see these things, what sort of things are, are, are being talked about here? Well, if you go back in Matthew 24, which is the one that we read, to the beginning of the chapter, these are the things that Jesus has been talk, talking about. He, he's in Jerusalem, and, and the gospel tell, tell us that he's gone over to the Mount Olivet, which is uh, the city of Jerusalem is here. Outside of the city walls, there's a valley called the Kidron Valley, and the valley comes right up on the other side to a little little. Uh, hill on the other side uh, called Mount Olivet. And from that mountain, you know all the pictures you see taken of of Jerusalem and the Dome of the Rock and the wall and all that kind of stuff? Almost all of those are taken from the perspective of Mount Olivet because you can look right over, almost eye shot over to uh, the Temple Mount and everything there that's ancient, right? So, So Jesus now has gone over to that mountain and from that uh, scenic view of the city, he, he starts to say these things. As they're passing out, it seems that the, the disciples have been enamored with the, the, the temple and those incredible stones and its wonderful architecture and this thing that has stood there for 400 years. You know what I mean? 400. That, that predates everything. All those monuments in Washington, D.C. by more than 200 years. Are you following me? And, and so, so here, here they are, as Boris Gump said, in our nation's capital. And... Uh, they're, they're looking at this central monument to everything that's valuable to them. For, for us, it would have been like standing in front of that statue of Lincoln. You know what I'm talking about? The, these are the truths on which we stand. The, you know what? Ancient. Look at this, Jesus. And Jesus says something prophetically that must have absolutely shocked them. He said, I tell you, there will come a day that no stone on this temple will stand on top of itself. It will be completely leveled. In fact, these, these are his exact words. That's a Buskirk paraphrase. Forgive me. And he, he answered and said to them, do you not see all these things? There they are, these things again. Truly I say to you, not one stone here shall be left upon another which will not be torn down. And he was sitting on the Mount of Olivet, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. See to it that no one misleads you. He told them these things so that they would not be misinterpreted by those who would follow him. In, in John uh, 14, 29, he told his disciples about his coming crucifixion for this reason. John 14, 29, you can look it up. That you might believe so that you may know now and when these things come to pass, that you might believe. That these things will not disillusion you. That these things will not surprise you. That these things will have you secure in knowing this is unfolding just as God has anticipated it. He is still on his throne. Don't panic. Stay true, right? That when these things come to pass, you may believe. Now here, Jesus uh, 
talks to us about prophecy. And what we know now is that this is a prophecy that was fulfilled. What do you guys think might be happening 35 years from now? Oh, let me ask you this way. Do you think anyone could have anticipated 35 years ago what we're seeing in the world today? So, so Jesus shares a prophecy about this temple coming down. It's been up for 400 years, right? It's been destroyed before, but it was rebuilt. And it's been standing here for 400 years. And he says that some of them in this generation will see these things start to come to pass. 35 or so years later, in 70 A.D., that the temple was completely leveled by the Romans putting down a rebellion. Completely leveled. And at this time, I don't think anybody saw it coming, right? But just as Jesus said, not a stone uh, was left. So it's an interesting thing about, philosophy, about, about prophecy. The more you understand prophecy and you know it so that when it comes to pass, you see it as fulfilled the even more confidence you have in the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. Does that make sense? How do you know that anybody is true to their word unless they've kept their word? One of the most amazing evidences for faith in the Judeo-Christian faith is the fulfillment of prophecy. That God has spoken and God has brought it to pass, right? So, so if we can see that God is a keeper of his word, then we know that God keeps his word yet to be fulfilled. That I tell you these things so that when they come to, pa- come to pass, you might believe. Now, not all prophecy has been fulfilled. Some have estimated it who know more about this stuff than I do, that maybe two-thirds of prophecy has, has been fulfilled already in the ages that have passed. But there's about a third, especially the end time stuff, about which all this is. Did you notice the the question? Tell us when all these things are to be and what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age. So Jesus is answering these questions with all these mysterious things he seems to say there afterwards. And let let me just read it. I I don't think there's any way around this. I I know Pastors are scared to actually read the Bible because if they do, people stop listening. But please listen to this, okay? It's important that you hear this for yourself. See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end for Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. For all these things are merely the beginnings, the birth pangs. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. And will kill you. And, will, and you will be hated by the nations on account of me. And at that time many will fall away. And will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, it is he who shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. 
Therefore, when you see, he's gotten to the end time, yeah. Uh, And many people think he's talking about the seven years of tribulation that are talked about in Revelation and Ezekiel and so forth and Daniel. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, if yours is in all caps, that's the way my Bible says, this is quoting something from the Old Testament, okay? So he's actually quoting Daniel here, one of his terms. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on uh, the housetop not go down to, to get the things that are in his house. And let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak, but Woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babes in those days. But pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now. Nor ever shall. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect... Those days shall be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or or, or, there he is, do not believe them. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. In other places it says, will show false signs and wonders, lies. Behold, I I have told you in advance. There it is. Behold, I have told you in advance. You're now accountable. If therefore they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go forth. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the, just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, this, this, will no be, this will be obvious, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be quick, emphatic, cataclysmic, unmistakable, right? Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun and the moon will be darkened and the moon will not give forth its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Even cosmic stuff will be shaken. And then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn that they will see the son of man coming on the clouds Uh, of the sky with power and great glory and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end uh, of the sky to another now learn the parable of the fig tree when you see all these things and then after the parable of the fig tree But of that day and hour, verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son of God, but but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days, which were before the flood, and they were eating and drinking, and they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came. And took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. People will just be acting. As if all things are normal. It's, it's like someone sitting on, on, a, on, on a plane. You know. I mean, we, maybe we can relate to this more than a fig tree. We're, we're on a plane. And, and, and 
the pilot has turned on his seatbelt sign, you know? How, how do you know when you're going to land in a plane? What would you tell somebody that has never experienced a plane ride before? Maybe it would start there. Well, maybe the pilot will come on. He'll say, you know, the little seatbelt sign will come on and everything. You, you know you're getting close. Now, sometimes that happens in turbulence. There may be some fault, but along the way, probably before you're going to land, he's going to turn on the seatbelt sign. And then the, what, you, you tell me, what comes next? Please put your seat backs in their upright table. And, and as you say that, you might think, well, they might tell you to turn off your cell phone too. So before that, you'd go back and cover a little bit of this. He did that in that passage, you know. He said, well, but before that. And, but then after that, you know, you're, you're flying with Scully over the Hudson. The next thing may be brace for impact. <laughs> right? Now, now, now the, the seven years at the end, this tribulation is the brace for impact. All right? And many of these other signs, I think, are already coming to pass. We, we can see them in the world around us. Uh, but prophecy, not just the prophecy of Je- Jesus, looks back to the prophecy of Daniel. God is setting this all up in his timetable, def- despite the fact that we all have free will to respond to him as we choose to respond to him. He is nevertheless the Lord of history. And in this passage, when it gets to that brace for impact po- point in verse 15, he says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel... Yeah, I look at that and I go, whatever that is, let's read on to something I understand, right? But, but if we go back to Daniel, particularly Daniel 9, 24 through 27, that's what's cited here as the brace for impact moment. This is in the, the last seven years, uh, the tribulation time, and, and Daniel tells us what's going to happen. Now, if you turn to Daniel, uh, back in your Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, You'll find this passage. Now, just to show you the precision of prophecy, I want to walk through this particular passage. I found this very interesting. In Daniel chapter 9, beginning with uh, verse 24, we read this. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people. Who are those people? Those are the Jewish people. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. The holy city is... Jerusalem, you're with me, Uh, to finish the transgressions, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the visions and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern those, those things. So you are to know and discern from the issuing of a decree. Now, this is a decree that has not happened when Daniel is speaking this. You shall know from an issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 72 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. What's being rebuilt? The the temple in the holy city, Jerusalem. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. The Messiah will be cut off. What are you talking about? Isaiah said that the the Messiah's reign would be eternal and have no end. This is one of the key stumbling blocks to Jews. How could Jesus be the Messiah if he died? That was to be. But here it is in Daniel. He's saying the Messiah will be cut off. And some, my version says, and have nothing. And other versions it reads, And it will not be for himself. 
and the people of the prince who is to come, different prince, not prince the Messiah, another prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and his end will come with a flood, not, not a water flood, but with a flood of armies. Even to the flood of troops, it's a special kind of term. Even to the end that there will be war, desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. There it is. Now, now, when you hear week, the actual Hebrew is a septad. It is is seven sevens. Okay? So, So we often interpret that a week, seven days. But... For this passage to be fulfilled, that seven is seven years. A septet. And and he will make a, a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, how many years into a seven? Three and a half years. He'll, he'll break the covenant. Uh, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and the grain offering. And on the... And now listen, if... if, if, if Okay. If if he's going to be in the if he's going to be doing this in the temple, what do we have to know about the temple that does not exist now? It has to be rebuilt. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out. On the one who makes desolate. So we're talking about two princes. One is the prince of the Messiah that will be cut off after so many days. The other then comes as a prince of destruction. But as he destroys, then that prince comes and destroys him. All right? You, you follow me? The, 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 prince, the prince that is the Messiah. The first will work some kind of desolation in the last uh, seven years. But his destruction is certain. It is decreed. God will have his victory. At the end of those seven years. Are you with me? So let's do the math. Okay, you're with me? This is, this is going to be really cool. Yeah, I've got to hang in this with me for just a little bit. But this is really cool. Seven. Uh... Okay, my slide's all messed up. Um... Okay, it didn't fit on that slide for some reason. Okay, so... Uh... Let me just see if I can explain it. Don't look at that. That will confuse the heck out of you. It just did me. Okay, so, so, so here we go. Here's, here's how it works. He says there will be uh, uh, 7 times 7, 49 years. Following that, there will be uh, 62 weeks, 62 sevens, 483. And then the Messiah will be cut off. All right, And then it adds another seven years, which we don't think is contiguous to the first, that will make the 490 of the Jews. All right. Now, since Jesus was cut off to the time of this last tribulation has been called the church era, right? Where God is working through his church. On the, and at the beginning of that seven years of tribulation, many mark that as the time of the rapture where the church will be gathered again to Christ. So all that will be left behind of his people are the Jews, right? During that period. So if you add that seven to the end, then you get the 490. I know we're starting to work with numbers. It drives me crazy too. But listen to this. After, after it just so happens that Daniel couldn't have known except by prophecy, but... Um, The temple was destroyed, and a foreign king 
made a decree from the date of a decree. The decree was the decree of Cyrus or Artaxerxes, as he's sometimes known, in, in Persia, who told Nehemiah that it was okay for him to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and start the rebuild of the city. Ezra then rebuilt the temple. All, all this is going to happen there. You know how many years it took for that reconstruction process to be complete? 49 years. So there's a 49, followed by 62 uh, seven, sevens, or 62 times seven, and I did the math there for you, 433. Three. So it says, from a decree that he had no way of knowing was coming, it was even a foreign king that was going to do it, that was going to send the exiled children of Israel back to Jerusalem to build their temple, right? So, so you've got 434 years there, and those are, in Luke, called the days of the Gentiles. When the days of the Gentiles will be fulfilled, then this last seven years uh, kicks in. So in these days of the Gentiles, which ought to be over there, right? But, but here's the point. From Artaxerxes, to Jesus Christ in, in Jerusalem, how many years was that? Well, it turns out that if that's 434 years plus the 49 years, it comes to 480, uh, 483 years. Doggone it. That's six years too late. But we count by a Greek calendar. Daniel was using... A Hebrew calendar. And a Hebrew calendar has 360 days in a year, not, in 300, not 365. And it just so happens that we know from not just biblical evidence, but archaeological evidence, the exact day of that decree. It's been recorded in stone and discovered. And that particular date is March 14th, 445 B.C. We know the day. Amazing God would preserve that somewhere on some stone that someday some guy would dig up by mistake. You know what I'm talking about? But, but, but we, we have the day. The day. And if you add those adjusted days, okay, take 365 times 483, and it, it, that many days, from that day to, the, to that day, which is April 6, 32 A.D., what happened that day? We know. The children and the people of Israel rushed outside the city because it was the last seven days before Passover and before Easter Sunday. On Palm Sunday, the day Jesus rode into town, is that day, that day. And before the end of the week, another seven days, all that transpired that week, including his resurrection and the launch of the, of the days of the Gentiles and the Gentile church, the launch of those days when the Gentiles were incorporated into the church and largely became the church, from those days, those are the days that follow. And it's been about 2,000 years since then. And, and folks, I think, think we're very close to the point that these seven years are about to kick into gear, okay? And in other words, biblically, brace for impact. Amazing. Now, the only reason I tell you all that is because I think it's important that we get a sense of the precision of biblical prophecy beyond any human person's capability of imagining it or speaking it forth so the prophecies of the Bible unfold. 
So what are those signs? Wars, earthquakes, plagues, and famine. And of those, Jesus says, don't fear, don't freak out. God's got this, right? Persecutions by world authorities. He says that we'll, we'll be uh, laid hands upon us. Now that happened not only, it would not only happen in this time of great tribulation, but in the times since then, that there will be times that uh, authorities that lay hands upon you. That, that's the idea of arrest. Uh, times of persecution will, be, will come. But if you look at the Luke passage, the one that we did not read, it explains our response in those times. That when persecution comes, Luke 21, 13, it says, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. Don't resist this. Don't run and hide. When persecution comes, stand strong and look for your opportunity to share your testimony. That's the biblical calling. Attrition. There will be betrayers and, 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 and betrayal. And strife and apathy, hearts will grow cold because of lawlessness, it says. There will be a great gospel ingathering. There are indications that in these last days there will be a revival of sorts. Isaiah 54 describes it more, not as a revival as if people are just coming to Christ, but people are actually drawn into the true church. Isaiah calls it the remnant. And he describes it almost as the remnant. What's a remnant? If any of you so, you know the remnant is the piece that is taken from the original. Right? The church that is still the church that has always been, that still walks with the Spirit, that is still authentic and to the, that still speaks the truth and love, that authentic, that remnant in those days will have a great blossoming. The seeds that will be sown will be harvesting. There will be a great ingathering. But at the same time of the ingathering, there will also be, it says, did you hear it earlier? A great falling away because people are being deceived. And then, at last, at the ends of these days of tribulations, the heavens will be shaken. A cosmic event. When Christ returns, it will be in such victory that all of creation will shudder. Much less the people who are alive to see it on that day. So if those are the things we're going to see, the, the point of this passage, it, 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 so what do we do with all this? The parable of the tre- uh, fig tree tells us, be ready for a change of seasons. Be ready to, number one, let me just walk through the applications here real fast. First of all, to renounce denial. To renounce denial and apathy. As we approach these days, there will be like a gloom that will seek to invade the heart, not of people in the world, but believers. God's church, there will be a sense of apathy as was in the days of Noah, just going through the routines, the denial. Ah, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's just biblical hump. Mumbo jumbo. Now, none of that stuff ever really happens. We're a technological age. We've got this. We've got it under control. But, but Luke tells us, no, be on guard. These are not the days to be uh, intoxicated or distracted. Renounce denial. 
Number two, reject deception. And how can you reject deception? How can you tell the counterfeit if you're not familiar with what is the real? 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12 says that in the last days that God will give those who have rejected his gospel over to a delusion. False teachers, false prophets, false Christ. It's all there. Folks, we've got to know the truth well enough. It's time for the church to put on its big boy pants and recognize the difference between falsehood and truth. We need to be ready. We need to rise out of our despair. Well, I don't even like talking about all this stuff. It just makes me nervous. And I, I see it in the headlines. And, oh, it just, you know, it's so much anxiety. God would not want me to be so anxious. You're absolutely right. He doesn't want you to be frightened because he wants you to look at this as it says in, in the Luke passage. Not as a day of your destruction, but even as these things happen, it says in Luke twenty one twenty eight after the uh, parable of the fig tree. Be ye not dismayed because your redemption is drawing near. Not your destruction. Your redemption. Your deliverance into all that was promised. That's what's coming for you. So rise out of your despair. While the whole world is going crazy, we should be people of still peace and joy. They must think that we're absolutely crazy because of what holds us when the world is shaking apart. Not only rise out of despair, but I tell you, we must refuse betrayal. Listen to me. In the last days, it will be a sign within the church. How many of you have ever known of a church that was destroyed because... Something happened from the outside that affected them. You ever known of a church that came apart because of something someone else did to them? I've never heard of a church split. I've never heard of a church disintegration where the factors of the disintegration weren't already in our midst. Listen to me. In these last days, it will be the strategy of the deceiver and the accuser to put in your head accusations against one another. If you feel in these days a tendency to want to talk against someone else, to want to put down uh, the pastor, uh, if someone's been telling you that they hate the pastor's new goatee, no, I'm just kidding. If, uh, if, if, uh, if, if, we, if we are turning towards, listen, in, in the last days, Jesus says, put on your big boy pants. That's part of it. Don't let Satan come in and throw some strife amongst you that you will then attack one another over. That, that's like Mary Lowe and, you know, Curly and what are those guys' names? The Three Stooges? Remember those guys? Do you remember how, fun, how much fun he had to, to gig this one and gig that one and then just step back and watch them have at it? Don't be the Three Stooges, church. Recognize that if strife is coming up amongst you, don't attack one another, attack it. Resolve it. Choose loyalty to one another, right? Cover each other's backs. Because we have an enemy that's coming against us. This is no time to be at war with one another. You follow me? Refuse betrayal. Resist obsession. You know that obsession that I, I remember back just before, you know, back in the 80s, there were people that thought the end time were coming. I can't remember what it was then. 
you know, maybe it was the year 2000 or something. I remember driving around in Tulsa and seeing this guy over and over again, this little VW bug with the dates on the side of his car, and he was checking off the dates as it was coming down, you know, to, to D-Day. I never saw him after that. But anyway, uh, I, th- th- there are those of us that we get so obsessed with trying to figure out the time. Look, Jesus has said, you'll know the season so that you'll know how to respond. But he also said that even the hour, not even he knew that only the Father in heaven knew. So, so don't you try to figure it out. That's not the point. The point is to not become a clock watcher. The point is to respond because you know what time it is. So don't get obsessed in this. Rather, re-engage your witness. If you see persecution coming on, be ready to share your faith. If you see the world falling apart, then pursue righteousness. You choose to be that remnant that someday God will cause to blossom. In persecution comes opportunity. In the falling away also comes the promise of incredible revival. And Jesus closes it by saying, heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. Do you hear what he's saying? He says at the end of this, behold, I have told you. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, bank on this. Bank on this. I got one illustration to close and we're done. He was a new admiral and he was aboard one of his great ships and they were sailing through a fog. And he was on the bridge of the ship and he wanted his associates to realize his expertise in sailing. And so as they were coming through the fog, he noticed a a, a dim light starting to pierce the fog. And he called to the man on deck and he said, signal to him that uh, we are uh, the warship such and such that he needs to change his course. You heard this story? He, He needs to change his course. And he went up there and he flashed it in Morse code and back came the signal, no, you must change your course. And the admiral says, well, he obviously doesn't know who he's talking to. I must change my, this is the admiral of your Navy. You must change course. And then flashing back through the fog was, this is Seaman First Class Jones. And this is the lighthouse. You must change your course. You might be really bright, but you are not the light of the world. And he has told you in advance that when you see these things, you will know how to respond. Could it it be that after 2,000 years, we are now approaching that week? That tribulation week. The, the, the temple in Israel must be built if the, if the Antichrist is going to desecrate it by claiming himself God and seating himself in that place two and a half years into that tribulation. And we know, according to his word, that that is exactly what's going to happen. Do we have people in the world with egos enough to do such a thing? Do we not even now? Do we not hear that Jerusalem may again become the capital of Israel? Do you know that even now in Jerusalem there is a temple institute 
that has already put together all of the utensils for worship in the temple. They have the high priest's garb ready to go and all those things that are necessary to reassume the functions of the temple when it is rebuilt. Do you know that in 2014, there began a capital campaign in order to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem? I, could, I don't have time, but I could show you the commercial. Do you know what season it is? Well, then, my friends, we know how to respond. Not by disengagement, but by engagement. Not by betrayal, but with loyalty. All those things that we just went through. This is our game plan for the end game. Brace for impact. Are you ready for those days? You can be. And the only way to know that you are is to know whose you are. Because when that sky splits, he'll either be coming for you or he won't based on the decision that you make in these days and what you profess before men now that he might profess you before his Father in heaven then. It's a sobering choice. But if you haven't made it, there would be nothing smarter for you to do today than to get that business handled. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come down to an altar. Jesus never told anybody they had to come to an altar. But you need to come to that decision yourself. Someone you came with today, you need to have a further conversation with. You need to have that prayer. If you want to stick around after today and chat, as I'll chat with many other people, nobody will know it's you and me talking about that. Let's get that done. Time is short. In the name of Jesus, let's praise the one who is coming to claim those he redeems. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord Jesus, that's our song because that's our prayer. That you would come soon. And lift us, your bride, from all the destruction of this world, all the tarnish and tatteredness of our own sin. Lift our heads and say, who accuses you? Not even I. Come with me. Sin no more. Know the fullness of the life for which I gave it in the first place. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, because we see you as our groom and you have claimed us as your bride. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, and make us ready for the coming. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, be ready. Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday.